This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Hey, want to say a big shout out to start off today's show to my friend Malcolm, who works in an emergency room. To Malcolm and, and everybody else out there helping people get healthy, get us all healthy so we can go back to stacking Benjamins. Thanks a ton. But hey, enough of my yakking. What do you say? Let's boogie. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're asking the question, now that we're all locked away at home, how do you juggle work, family, life, and managing money? Today we welcome the hosts of the How to Money podcast, Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix. Plus, in headlines, lots of news for student loans released by the government. We'll share details. And we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a caller who wonders if he should add commodities to his portfolio. Wait, get this, Joe and OG have opinions on that. And naturally, we'll also carve out some time for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who never let an empty wallet get in the way of a good time, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. The best times I'm learning are when we're huddled together in a basement making podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Weird Monday in the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Selsey. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, roughly six feet away, it's Mr. OG. It is exactly six feet. We measured this. <laughs> we did. We measured twice just to make sure. And then you said, how come it's not like this all the time? Because you prefer it over there. I can't hear you. What? It's too far away. 
this is going to be going to be a great episode. Hey, speaking of great episodes, Joel and Matt, the guys behind the How to Money podcast, joining us on today's show. A lot of people, OG, nice. ju- juggling family That's life. Crazy. I have a friend who just lost it on Instagram today. I was watching her lose it on Instagram because, Uh-oh. well, you know, she's trying to be substitute teacher or pretend teacher, doesn't really know what to do there. Kids are in revolt because they don't want to do the work because they're mm-hmm. at home. She's trying to keep a business that usually runs at home while the kids are at school. And she was just losing it. And uh, how do you juggle it? We're going to talk about uh, Joel and Matt, who juggle a lot of stuff, juggle a ton, even in normal times. How are you guys doing it? You know, we're really lucky. The work from home thing, you know, I've been virtual. My business has been virtual for six years. So this is like a normal day, uh, you know, in terms of that. Certainly with the market being crazy, that's increased the amount of conversations we've had with people, both uh, new people and existing clients and friends. But I'm also very lucky that my wife doesn't work anymore. So she's got that handled. And uh, my boys are old enough to know when to screw around by dad's office and when not to. Um, (laughs) My daughter doesn't know it as much, but she also respects the fact, hey, the door's closed. Dad's working. If it's open, I can come in. And um, we're really lucky. We didn't, you know, because I already had this set up. Yeah. I'm not trying to like work from my coffee table, change while, everything, you yeah. know, while breakfast is going on in the kitchen and, you know, I'm working in this room and that room, I just have all my setup the normal way. So we're really lucky, but, uh, but it is getting a little stir crazy. You know, I just, I was talking to somebody, this is week five that we've been home and that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. You can feel it. You can feel it. Uh, today's show brought to you by the stacker. That's how you learn what's going on here in the basement. We are doing Facebook lives. We did another one last week. We did a hangout. We're going to keep doing hangouts as long as this thing goes, hang out with the community, be around people as much as you possibly can, but social, socially acceptable hangouts where we're all virtual head to uh, stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker for that and great money lessons. All right. We got Joel and Matt coming down to the basement. Well, virtually coming down to the basement. But first, we got some headlines, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Forbes. This is uh, brand new as of Thursday of last week, and news is coming quick, as you know. OG is written by Adam Minsky. Uh, Critical new details released for coronavirus student loan relief. Adam writes, last week, Congress passed a stimulus package that provides critical short-term student loan relief for millions of student loan borrowers. However, just to cut to the chase of what Adam's saying here, uh, there wasn't a lot of guidance at that time. We saw the same thing last week, not part of this piece, OG, but last week we saw the same thing with small businesses. On Friday, people were going to start applying for something called the, uh, which George uh, from Joust talked about on Friday's show, the PPP, the Payroll Protection, uh, what's the third one, Plan. Payroll protection plan, plan program. Yeah. They've had to delay that because they're, they're waiting. But now the department of education has released some details and guidance about student loan relief. And I will go over just a few of these and, and see how these, these help people. The department confirmed payments on government held federal student loans will be suspended through September 30th, 2020. The suspensions automatic borrowers do not have to request it. So I guess OG, First thing to make sure of is, do you have a government-held federal student loan? 
I can see some people not having one of those loans, thinking that they don't owe any money and they're still on the hook. Well, and I really, I really have a hat tip to like SoFi right now, you know, right in the front of their website says, you probably don't want to refinance your student loan right now because you've got some protections available to you. And our friend Brian from Student Loan Hero would tell you that's one of the considerations when you go to refinance, you know, is to understand, you know, what you're giving up. And so this is, you know, beneficial to people that have federal loans, but not necessarily beneficial. It's not beneficial for those who don't. But that doesn't mean that that there's nothing for you. Every company right now is opening the doors saying, let us help, you know, just be communicative with those people that you do business with and let them know what's going on. And you'll find some grace if you, you know, if you're open and honest and forthright with it. Uh, second piece here, the department's confirmed that the suspended months are going to count for public service loan forgiveness, even if payments are not made. The months of suspended payments will also count toward loan forgiveness associated with income-driven repayment plans and for rehabilitation programs for borrowers who are in default. So if you're somebody that defaulted, but you're trying to get it back together, you're good. By the way, it also says borrowers should not request a forbearance since periods of forbearance may not count toward loan forgiveness. So this is a weird thing, OG. We've told people before here, you know, ask for a forbearance where you get a few months to get on your feet. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're between jobs or maybe you, you had struggled to find a job out of college or whatever the case may be. This is not a good time to request forbearance. Well, you're getting one automatically. Yeah, yeah. So don't do anything. Yeah, do not request forbearance. Borrowers in default will have their wage garnishments, Social Security offsets, and tax refund seizures suspended. Imagine imagine if, if you're having uh, your wages garnished to pay your student loans. Man, that changes. Loan servicers are instructed to suspend billing on all automatic debits starting on April 10th, 2020. So basically, if you have a debit and the debit goes through, either there's been a problem or on the other side, you probably don't have the type of loan that they're talking about. For borrowers mm-hmm. on an income-driven repayment plan, recertification deadlines may be extended. We'll link to this. But, OG, I think the takeaway from this piece is, well, not even with this piece, this is a time when you want to watch the news. Like, you really want to... You want to stay up on what programs are happening because it it feels like new news is coming fast. It's changing every second, right? Every day there's some new guidance, there's some new rules associated with it, and you got to really pay attention to, to what you can do, what's out there, what's flexible for you. In our second headline, far more serious one here, OG, this is a, this is a big problem. This comes to us from The Guardian. Irish drug dealer loses 46 million pounds in Bitcoin codes that he hid in a fishing rod case. Just 46 million pounds. That's frustrating. That's about $60 million. $60 million. How did he he lose it? He went fishing and dropped his fishing rod? Oh, no, it's even better than that. In early 2017, Clifton Collins, an Irish drug dealer, had a dilemma. Where to hide the codes of his illicit... 55 million euro Bitcoin fortune. His solution was to print them onto an A4 piece of paper and stash it in the aluminum cap of a fishing rod case, kept at his rented home in Farnot, Cornamona, County Galloway. Easy for you to say. In the UK. That's somewhere Find in the UK. That with a map. <laughs> Is that near 46 Iowa? Million if you can, 46 million if you can find that treasure map. There, there's got to be some 
Well, we know where it is, so listen to this. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Then three things happened. Police arrested Collins after finding 2,000 euros worth of cannabis in his car. Think about this. The dude's got... Dude's got 50 million, and he gets pinched for... For 2,000 A little bit of weed. He was sentenced then. This is the second thing. He's sentenced to five years in jail... So the landlord of the Galway house had it cleared out, resulting in Collins' possessions all being taken to the dump. Yikes. The codes are now missing, meaning the accounts cannot be accessed. According to the Irish Times, which first reported the story, workers at the dump told the Irish police force, the Garda, they remembered seeing discarded fishing gear. Waste from the dump goes to Germany and China to be incinerated. The fishing rod case has never been found. You know, you kind of wonder... Is it worth tracking it down? You know, like if you knew that there was some chance that the dumps right outside Wuhan, China, <laughs> but it's but it's fifty million, right? You know, you just got to wear one of those masks. That's all you got to do. Collins forty nine has apparently told the Garday he's come to terms with the loss of the fortune, considers it punishment for his own stupidity. I think that is lesson number one. OG, he's like, I'll just do it again. This is easy stuff. Don't leave the code in the fishing rod when you're going to get pinched for cannabis. (laughs) Hey, OG, time to pull back the curtain a little bit on how we make the show. We talked to Joel and Matt about juggling a little bit before all this happened because of the fact that I thought I was going to be in Japan. So uh, Joel and Matt came down to the basement. Usually we, uh, you know, just to keep things easy, we talk about how they're coming down to the basement right now. But obviously because of schedules, we had them down early. So they are going to talk about being in the basement. They'll also talk about normal times. But OG, I want to reiterate something that we talked about a couple weeks ago here. We will go back to normal times. And focusing on fundamentals and how life really works, not how it works here in weird, weird times, is is where we should be uh, sharpening the saw. This too shall pass. Yeah. So you're going to hear some asynchronous stuff right now coming from uh, Joel and Matt and I, but it was so good that we thought this is this is important. We're all juggling a lot here. We're going to talk about two guys who were juggling a lot even before this. Joel and Matt, the How to Money team, coming down to the basement. So I was thinking about juggling the other day, not juggling like a clown, but juggling tasks. We're juggling so much. And then I read this statistic that only 2% of people multitask efficiently. So how do we get more done? Is it gamification? Is it hiring experts using better tools? So today I'm super excited to welcome two guys who I think of when I think are supreme multitaskers. It's the awesome How to Money team, Matt Altmix and Joel Larsgaard coming down to the basement. Guys, Glad to be here, Joe. Glad to be here. What a wonderful thing. Your mom is so sweet, by the way. It's, yeah, thanks for having us over, man. We appreciate it. It's about time we got some professional podcasters out here. Calling us professional is a little bit of an overstatement. <laughs> like you said, this is something we, we do on the side. Uh, and though we don't juggle in real life, or well, I don't at least, I don't know if Joel has a hidden talent, no, but more like a sword swallower kind of. Yeah, that's what I'm into. Well, let's talk first, though, about all the stuff you guys juggle. Not only do you have the awesome How to Money podcast, but you guys are both dads, right? That's right. Yep. I've got three kids, 
Matt's got how many kids? I forget. I've got four now. Uh, yeah, seven kids between the uh, and the, the how to money family. You can't keep up with all Matt kids, Joel. Is that the problem? No, I forget their names sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little Matt, Matt Jr. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For yeah. the girls too. It's weird. Yeah. How did you guys meet? We've been best friends now for quite a number of years. We live in the same neighborhood. We live about six blocks from each other. And then, you know, we just started hanging out over time. We, we ended up having kids at the same time, which is kind of like brings a family together, right? The fact that we have kids pretty much the same age. And so we just hang out a lot, get the kids together. We both found a, a mutual love of craft beer and personal finance. And that's kind of the main things that we bonded over. And so that's kind of where the podcast came from, too. I've often heard Joel say, Matt, that you guys are best friends, but I've never heard you say that. Are you kind of coerced into this deal? You know, if I don't say that I'm not, uh, <laughs> I feel like that gets me off the hook, right? <laughs> no, what Joel said, it's totally true. I mean, we're neighbors, you know, like we met in our neighborhood as part of our community. And so it's because of that, it's been very easy for us to live life together. Like Joel said, going through these different stages of life together has only cemented our relationship. You know, you start buying rental properties at the same time. That's a lot of your conversations. You know, you, you crack a craft beer, you talk about that and, and you, you have kids at the same time. You go through that. Our oldest, their oldest girls are both in first grade. It's fun to experience all these sort of different stages of life with a wingman. And uh, Joel, of course, on the side, besides the big How to Money podcast, is part of the Clark Howard team. But Matt, I don't know what you do. What do you do? I am a photographer. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Photography lends itself to talking, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. I basically, I've, I've been a, a photojournalist essentially for the past decade. I've been self-employed. And so it's been a blast. A lot of my interest in money and personal finances has stemmed from necessity, from needing to learn how to do the things that I need to do in order to survive, uh, in order to make a living with originally just my wife. But you know, now we've got four kids and being self-employed, paying for your own health insurance, it's something that you need to be organized about. Well, you just had a guest from your field on, Vincent Puglisi, and I bet you and Vincent had a bunch to talk about because that guy's a hell of a photographer as well. Indeed. Yeah, man, I I really, <laughs> I enjoyed his book and the similarities and the path that he took to get to where he is. There, There's so much overlap there. It was uncanny, but everything he had in his book was kind of ratcheted up to the next level, just as far as the, the extreme lengths to, to which they went to achieve success. And even before that, I mean, you know, he talks about how he was working in a convenience store for a few years at, you know, at a dead end job before it, it took him to get to that point to realize that, is this what I want my life to look like? I, I need a little bit more direction. And once he was able to find that, that changed everything for him. It's super exciting. I don't have a clip from that episode. But I do have clips from quite a few of the How to Money episodes that I wanted to talk about, kind of to facilitate this conversation about how not just you guys, but our listeners juggle so many things. Because as you've read and I've read, multitasking, frankly, doesn't work. But yet we're kind of forced into that situation, trying to manage money, a family, a job, sometimes a podcast, all, kind, all kinds of different stuff. I want to start with uh, an episode from just a couple weeks ago. This is uh, the one where uh, my good buddy Joel throws the other person who can drive under the bus. And we had a minor fender bender the other day in our brand new to us, <laughs> but really old minivan. It, How old is that minivan again? Is it it's 16? Yeah, it's a 2006. No, so 14 years Four, old. I'm sorry, yeah. 14 years old. 14. 
So, I just like saying that because it's so freaking old and I love it. <laughs> like I'm not at all trying to hate on you. I think that it's the coolest thing that you guys are driving such an old vehicle because like we're going to discuss in this episode, it shines a light on the things that you value and the things that you don't value quite as much. Yeah. So, and sorry and, for the distraction. There. No, no worries. <laughs> and, and so I think, yeah, part of what also is nice about driving an older car is that when you do get dings or dents, it's just not nearly or as a little fender a bender. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. We got to scrape down the side, but it's a $5,000, 14 year old car. So we don't really care that much. Yeah. Uh, well, minivan, but okay. And so still, still a bummer though. Yeah. How long had, had you guys had it? I think less than a week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm not going to name names or anything, but one of the members of our family uh, was driving <laughs> who, this. Who can van. drive? <laughs> yeah, who can drive? There's only two of us who can. And he or she, who will remain unnamed, was driving this minivan and accidentally scraped the side of a friend's car when he or she was dropping off the children <laughs> at a friend's house. And so this, you know, not really a big deal. Our friends were really cool about it. Obviously, we offered to pay for it to get fixed, and they took it to a couple auto shops. And it was a bummer because it's almost 800 bucks to repair this car. Ouch. We're not repairing our car because, you know, the scrape, whatever, who cares? Well, the first thing I want to talk about, you guys go on to talk about whether to use insurance or not. And maybe we'll touch on that for a second. But the first thing is, Joel, now you and the other person in your family who can drive, who shall remain nameless and <laughs> you're, you're not throwing under the bus. You guys have not only your job, the podcast, kids all this stuff, you now have to figure out how to juggle, uh, how am I going to take care of this other person's car, look and see whether we we take care of our car. That couldn't have been easy. Yeah. Anytime something additional pops up, it always feels like, it, it, I don't know, it, it just changes the dynamic for a few days because that's something that's on our plate that wasn't on our plate before. But that kind of stuff happens in everybody's family, right? Everybody's got stuff that pops up out of nowhere and they have to deal with it. And so I'm really fortunate that my wife takes care of so many things around the house so that I can focus on some of these other things, right? So that I can then, when I'm at home, I can be present for my kids and my family. She took this situation and she ran with it. I mean, we talked about like how we were going to pursue it. And she was like, well, I think, you know, are we going to file an insurance claim? And so, you know, me being the guy who thinks about that stuff all the time, I'm like, no way. Of course, we're not going to file an insurance claim. It just, it doesn't make sense. You know, we have a, a deductible that exceeds the cost of the repair. And then, you know, obviously we know what that does to your insurance premiums for years to come. But a lot of people, just to pause there, because a lot of people listening don't know that. Yeah. Like a lot of people immediately, like you guys say later on in the show, they would file an insurance claim. It's just naturally what you do. And yet you didn't file a claim because you knew what would come next if you did. Well, yeah. And most people decide to keep a lower deductible on their homeowner's coverage and on their car insurance coverage. And because of that, it makes it seem like it's a better decision to file a claim when something smaller happens. And so what we encourage people to do is to raise your deductibles and have a lower monthly payment, lower, lower uh, premium amount, and then save that money, bank it for the times when you actually do need to use insurance. And that should be in a catastrophic claim that you can't take care of. So for instance, if it had been you know, a ten to $12,000 repair, we totally would have gone with insurance. That's what it's there for. But when it's an 800 to $1,500 claim, hopefully you have the highest level of a deductible and you're just not tempted to use it for smaller claims like that. And you've got the savings built up to be able to pay for something like that out of pocket. You think of it like as your own small claims insurance policy sitting there in your bank account. Yeah, it does raise your premiums for years to come. Yeah. So it could be three or five years that lives on what's called a clue report. It's sitting there in the background. If you ever try to change insurers, they see you as a, a greater risk and they're going to ramp up the rates that they're quoting you. So for all these reasons, you don't want to use your insurance. You want to only use it if you absolutely have to. 
Matt, when it comes to you and your family, speaking of insurance, do you guys have a system for how you check your insurances? Because once again, when you're juggling so many things, you know, you hear all this stuff about, hey, take a look at your deductibles like Joel just talked about. Or every time you have a birthday, I had an insurance agent tell me one time that it might have nothing to do with you, but different insurers like different people. Do you guys have some system where like, I don't know, I'm thinking of you like blowing out your birthday candles and going, hey, time to check the auto insurance to see if I can get a better deal. (laughs) Right. It's funny that you had somebody that mentioned doing it on your birthday, because when you can put it on the calendar, when you can have, uh, whether it be just a recurring annual reminder on your calendar to check that, that is the best way to make sure that you're, you're not skipping a year. It depends on the insurer. Different insurance companies uh, look at different things. They all have slightly different algorithms and how they calculate your premiums. And so right now you can go to a completely different insurer and they're going to give you a completely different quote depending on what it is that they're looking for. They may not look at accidents beyond three years. That's pretty typical. But you might have an insurer who's looking back five years. Unfortunately, that's something we realized recently. And because of that, we're, we're looking to shop insurers here you know, sooner than a year out. But um having that on the calendar is so important. You know, we, we talk often about how the things that we care about, I'm, well, specifically, I'm thinking about work, right? Like if you have something work-related, what do you do? You put it on the calendar. You have a reminder. Yeah. Um, so much of our lives, like the parts of our life that aren't work, we tend to just, I don't know, you kick back and you think, oh, it'll all happen. It's all casual. But those things don't always happen. Um, when we can schedule things, whether it be our, our personal finances, uh, obviously, we do this with work appointments all the time, but I think we need to do this more when it comes to our life, you know, our social life in order to, you know, maintain that balance. You're talking about juggling just different aspects of our lives when we can be proactive and intentional with our time. I think that's when we realize that we have way more time than we realize and that we are actually able to get a lot more done. I thought about what you were talking about, about work versus home back when I was a financial planner. I would meet all these people And they were clearly all very smart people with their job. And they go and they do this great, structured, analytical work. And then they'd come home with the money that they made from their job that they marginally care about. And they'd they'd get all emotional about it. And to your point, Matt, you know, everything goes to the back burner then. Yeah, exactly. We're incredibly efficient oftentimes at our jobs. But when it comes to our personal lives, when it comes to the things that oftentimes are even more important to us, right? Like if you were to sit somebody down and say, what's, you know, what are the most important things in your life? You'd be like, oh, family, kids, you know, my wife, my, you know, my community. And then you look at the, the structure and the calendar events that we have set aside for those things. And they're, they're few and far between. I think of a friend of ours just organized just a little get together on a local bar that's going to be closing. Honestly, had he not done that, it probably wouldn't have happened because a lot of us were like, oh, yeah, we should totally hit it up. It's, you know, they're, they're going to be closing next Saturday. But the fact that he just initiated a little text, got that on the calendar, it happened. <laughs> and there, there were, what, six of us, seven of us there. Guys drove in from like an hour away who, who moved out of the city and made that happen. Whereas mm-hmm. if, if that wasn't something that was a priority for him, then it wouldn't have happened and wouldn't have actually been a part of my life that night. I love that idea. I mean, on one end, it sounds so unspontaneous, but on the other, I feel like your to-do list just kind of manages the day if you don't do that. I know that um, Cheryl and I have to have scheduled date nights. Our mutual friend, Andy Hill from Marriage, Kids, and Money, and I have uh, game night. In fact, it's tonight as we're recording that. And if we don't have those game nights already scheduled on the calendar, we don't get together, you know? So then you don't have date nights and you don't get together with friends. I feel like that changes too. Like the older we get, 
you know, when I was in my twenties, spontaneity was totally fine. It was totally cool. I, I was hanging out with different people every night of the week and it was a five or six o'clock PM text. Hey, what do you want to do tonight? At least now where my life has so much more going on and with kids and to try to care for everybody that I love well, it does take a lot more planning. Um, remember the, I hate that because that's not my style, but yeah. it is what it is. No, it, it, it truly is. Uh, do you guys remember the show Dharma and Greg? Yeah, for sure. Remember when Dharma caught Greg scheduling sex, like ske- <laughs> putting it on the calendar? <laughs> that, that might be a little too far, but yeah. Let's need to prioritize the things that are important to that's, us. That's right. So. There it is. Well, hey, I've got a little a uh, little date night. You mentioned date night, and it made me think of uh, Joel and I. Uh, so our wives are best friends as well, and but we know the importance of having time, you know, with our spouse. And Joel was over here last night watching our kids babysitting while Kate and I, while we had date night. And next week, I'll be over at his house when him and Emily go out. And so we've kind of got this deal worked out to where once a week, one of the couples goes out, and the the other, you know, in, in our case, one of the husbands, one of us goes over and just holds down the fort in order for us to get, you know, some free childcare while getting some quality time in with our wives. Yeah. I was about to ask Joel if that was the best $15 an hour he ever made. <laughs> maybe, maybe second not. Best, second best. I used to work at the Eckerd Photo Lab. Best job I ever had. I, I, I do want to get into that, but maybe on your next uh, time down to the basement. For now, I want to talk about a way that you guys talk about uh, on your show. And this is back from a few weeks ago, from early January. You guys talk about gamifying your finances to get ahead, and let's listen into that. The reasons we like games, well, one of them is competition. We like watching our favorite sports team beat up the rival crosstown sports team. That is as old as America itself. So many of the best sports and games out in the world today are ones that involve playing against or beating an opponent. Anytime you can bring some competition into the picture, things are bound to get more fun. Even if you're not playing uh, directly against a friend, you're trying to beat the final boss, the final level, you're trying to put a nail in the coffin of that game. You're trying to be done with it. Yeah, I want to beat that game. Exactly. And have those bragging rights. <laughs> right. And so, Matt, let me give you a quick example. So my, my boss, Krista, she had this spin class birthday party, and I ride oh. my, my bike to work, so I was like, cool, it's going to be fun. I, I don't really do spin class. never done it before, actually, until this party. But I ride to work every day, so I'm boss. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> uh, I will say I was not up to her level because oh, really? she's like a spin class master. Different than riding a bike? It is different. It is really? different. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously you're using some Use of your the... hands instead of your legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was doing. I was down on all fours. Spin doggy paddle class. Oh, <laughs> you didn't tell me that. But like they had this pumped up music. They had instructors that were super excited and getting us motivated. And then also on top of that, the thing for me, they had the leaderboard. And the leaderboard was what motivated me (laughs) to go even harder. So sometimes on my bike to work or home, I'll take it nice and leisurely. Like I won't go super hard. Sure. Because who's it benefiting if I go harder? It's just me, right? It's it's my health. It's good for me. It's interesting the fact that, Joel, when it's just you, it doesn't motivate you that much. But man, you put a leaderboard in front of you. It becomes something different, which I guess begs the question then, why don't we talk about money anymore. Is that Liz, is that too intimidating of a leaderboard or is it an elitist leaderboard then? Because then you're, you know, uh, haves versus have nots. Yeah. I mean, I think the conversation around money culturally has just become really negative and there is so much pointing fingers and casting aspersions at who has more and what things look like. And, and granted, I mean, there's a lot of inequality in our country, so I can understand why some of those conversations take place. But at the same time, 
we have to be able to talk about money positively because if we can, you know, handle our money well, think about it well and talk about it well with our friends, then it makes a huge difference in how we're able to get ahead, save more and think about our future. I mean, I just think about all the positive stories I've heard from our listeners over the year that say like, just you guys encouraging us to talk more with our friends about money in a positive way, that has made a big impact on my finances. That has made a big impact on my relationships. I just had someone uh, let us know that their relationship with their spouse is better than it's ever been because they started talking about money yeah. and talking about money led to talking about future goals. And it's those kind of conversations that don't just happen and they're not one-offs either. You have to prioritize them and you have to continually and regularly have them. But I I agree. I think it's a taboo topic and it shouldn't be. In your house, Matt, do you guys have structured money conversations or they just happen when they happen? So they happen throughout the month uh, when it comes to budget updates. Like there's certain amounts that we spend towards entertainment, towards groceries every month. Like those are the two that we have a lot more control over. Car insurance, that doesn't really change. I don't need to yeah. send Kate the, uh, the car insurance rate update. <laughs> but the things that we have a direct impact on those are the categories where I will send, like literally at this point, we know the language that we're speaking. And so we don't have to sit down and have this massive meeting. Literally what I do is I send her texts. So like once every 10 days, so maybe about two or three times a month, I send her an update and it'll say, I just did this a few days ago. It'll say February budget update. And then I do dash, 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 dash. <laughs> and then I hit her with like 10 just texts. To, you know. Just to build the excitement. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to format my text, you know, like, and so I'm, I'm trying to present it to her as like a, this organized, I'm like kind of OCD kind of dude. And so in my mind, I want it to be nice and neat for her. And I'm like, okay, I, so the next text is just a bunch of lines. That way it's a, a heading. Uh, but then I send her the categories and I'll say, all right, we've got 120 bucks left in groceries, you know, for the rest of this month. Like that's one that is important for her to know because she takes care of all of our grocery purchasing, all of the cooking. And that's one that she likes to have an update on. Obviously, when there are bigger expenses coming up or, or something along the lines of yeah, basically if we're going to reprioritize something and if we're going to try to chase after something a little bit different, uh, have a new savings goal, those are uh, bigger conversations that we need to have because, OK, where are we going to take money from? Where are we going to put money towards? And um, yeah, at the beginning of the year is also a big time for us to sit down and look at how the previous year went. We always compare our spending totals to previous years as well. So again, this is kind of comes back to me being more analytical, more of a total money nerd. But looking at those numbers helps us to see that like, cool, this is what last year felt like. And this is what it actually was because there can be such a difference between our emotions and the reality, right? Yeah. One thing that was really encouraging for us to see was that Last year, we felt pretty bare bones when it came to us going out because we had some other priorities, uh, some other goals that we were trying to achieve. And when we look at our entertainment budget and what we actually spent, <laughs> it confirmed the feeling that we didn't go out a whole lot. Uh, we spent, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but 30% less last year wow. on going out uh, than we did the previous year. And so for us, that was a good way to see that, like, cool. It didn't just feel that way. We, we actually did that. And because of that, we were able to achieve the, the larger goals that we had set before us. That's really cool. I want to ask you then, Matt, about gamification. When you guys did your gamification episode on your end, like how do you create your own leaderboard? What do you do that gamifies your finances? Yeah, it's great that you picked that clip because the reason we wanted to talk about competition in that episode was that by default, if you don't identify what it is that you're chasing after, what it is your, your goals are, the default is to look at the people around you, right? And, and because of that, I think that is 
a part of why we don't talk about money is because the sort of competition that we bring to that space, to personal finance, I think it's unhealthy. When you're looking at your coworkers, when you're looking at your boss and you see what he's driving or you know that he lives in this part of town, that can be, I don't know, on some level, maybe there's a little bit of aspiration there. But on a lot of levels as well, I think that can be a very negative way of looking at money and, and competition. I think for us, the challenge is to dig down deep and identify whatever it is that you want to pursue. And that's the goal. Like that's the big boss at the end of the game that you're trying to smash. You know, like it doesn't really matter what other people are playing, like whatever their game is. Yeah, it's not important because they're playing a completely different game. You want to make sure that you are completely dominating the game that you want to play. But given, Joel, the fact that you saw the leaderboard and you're competitive, do you ever find that you're competitive with your co-host? <laughs> you know, in a good way, because surrounding yourself with people that have similar values to you is crucial in this whole game of trying to do well with your money. And so having people that you live life with closely, a spouse, best friends, community members that you interact with regularly, neighbors, if those are people, the closest people you can surround yourself are people that have similar views of money to you, then that kind of challenge that can be set. It's not about how you can spend more, drive a fancier car, have a bigger, more lavish house or the coolest possible vacation. If you can surround yourself with people with similar values, then it gives you this other challenge. Like Matt and I, I feel like when it came to like buying real estate, Matt's like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy another property. And I'm like, oh man, I think I should buy another property. Like I think I should be going harder in the real estate game. And so it's been this really helpful challenge for me. Well, you know, as Matt pursues greater degrees of financial independence, it, it's kind of this spur for me to try to do more too in that regard. And yeah, I think Matt, honestly, he's just more thoughtful than I am. And so I really appreciate the way he thinks about, you know, living life in community. And he challenges me honestly to do less oftentimes too. And that can be really healthy too, where it's like, you know what? Hey dude, you don't need to go this hard. You don't need to do this much you're really good where you are. And so, I don't know, having a friend like that is really, really helpful in, in, in just, you know, living life, yeah. but then also prioritizing the right things when it comes to your money. Less is yeah, more. I'll, I'll, yeah, less is more. And I mean, I'll say that we're both in a much better place financially because of our relationship. And a lot of it does stem from those conversations that we've been, been able to have when it comes to prioritizing saving for our future and the, the kind of life that we do want to live. But do either of you guys use any of these cool new fintech, you know, we have a fintech Friday segment there's tools like, I know, uh, Pluto Money is one. Uh, Walter Crittenden, the guy that came up with Acorns, has a thing where you play games and, and it gamifies your money. Do either of you guys use any of those toys or any of the online fintech stuff to help you gamify your money? Well, you heard me talking about my spreadsheets. Well, <laughs> and so I play in Excel. So <laughs> I garner enough satisfaction from the, the graphs and all the tables I'm able to put together. But these different apps can be so valuable for folks when it comes to not only finding ways for them to visualize their savings. Because I, I think a lot of times that's just what they're doing because the numbers, spreadsheets, like that doesn't resonate with a lot of folks. And I think a lot of times that's why people don't dive into the money. Like they don't want to look at their bank statements. Like that's not fun, but you pull up the acorns app, man, you can see progress and yeah. it, it tracks how you're doing. I've got a buddy. He's a really smart guy, but he's not a money, you know, he's not a spreadsheet nerd, but he set up an acorns account maybe two and a half years ago. And he told his wife, him and his buddies got together and like, fellas, let's take a golfing trip to Ireland and, uh, or Scotland. I can't remember Ireland or Scotland. But they're like, yeah, sure. Let's all right. Sure. Let's do it. And so they literally put it on the calendar. They're like, let's let's shoot for this in two and a half years. 
he told his wife, he's like, I'm going to set up this Acorns account and that's going to fund that trip. She said, sure. Yeah, whatever. You do what you want. But guess what? Two years later, they look at that account and he's got over $3,000 saved in there and he's able to go on this trip. And his wife was a little pissed. (laughs) (laughs) And what's funny is the budget is shocked. Well, and the budget didn't feel any different, right? I mean, it was just a slow skim, right? That we give to everybody else, but putting it in your own pocket, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So being able to use some apps like that, I think can be clutch when it comes to saving for some of those specific goals. By the way, Joel, when Matt starts thinking and talking about his love of spreadsheets, all I can think about is this. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree, man. Uh, I am not a spreadsheet guy. Matt and I are very different in so many ways. And one of them is that he loves manual spreadsheet kind of stuff. And I don't. I'm the kind of guy who would prefer to not have a budget at all. And when I was single for the longest time, I didn't. But then, you know, when I got married, my wife and I, in order to be able to communicate about money, well, we had to have some sort of some sort of a budget in our lives. But yeah, I agree with Matt. I think these fintech tools are really helpful for certain kinds of people. I use Mint. I love YNAB and how that can help people find out how to budget well for themselves. But I mean, for people that nerd out about money obsessively, it's just not a need in my life. By the way, that spin class, you're right, Joel. No joke. I've ridden a bike a lot outside. And uh, when they have you get up out of the saddle at spin class, that just destroys me. Right? Oh, it's so but, tough. It is so... I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm like, I'm like, this is going to be so easy. And then <laughs> like five minutes in, I'm like, what the hell is this? Right, right. Get me out of here. I know. I know. All right. I want to do uh, one more thing. I want to talk about experts and working with experts and if that helps you juggle or not. Uh, recently, you guys had a mutual friend of ours on, Mindy Jensen, who talked about having experts in your corner when you're buying a house. Let's listen in. It's all set up and ready to go, hopefully, now. They've made the repairs. They've decluttered. They've cleaned it. So let's get into who is going to sell the house. How do you feel about selling a home by owner? Should FISBO be a legit consideration, or is that just like a stupid move for people? Uh, Yes, to both of that. (laughs) Yes, all of the above. Joel's favorite answer. (laughs) (laughs) I am a licensed real estate agent in the state of Colorado. And if you'd like to buy a home, give me a call. But I also wasn't a licensed real estate agent in any state. And I did sell my house for sale by owner. And a lot of people want to put the time in to sell their house by themselves. They want to save the commission. It is a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act to say that the going rate is whatever. But typically, a real estate commission goes for between 25 and 3% per side. So there's the selling agent and the buying agent. So around 5.5 or 5 to 6% of the sales price goes to the real estate agents. Some people look at that and they think, oh my goodness, I'm going to sell my house for $400,000. I have to give somebody twenty dollars to $24,000 to do this. I'll just do it myself. I understand that. I, would- I don't want to go into uh, Mindy's thoughts about that. People can go back and listen to the episode and we'll link to all these episodes that we take these clips from on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. But guys, this is a real conundrum. I mean, you look at you look at a house you look at this huge amount of money to sell your house. And you're like, are you kidding me? Pop a few pictures on the internet, baby, and I'm good. Yet, if you have a really good real estate person, they know not just where to list it, but the right people to talk to, the right other agents to bring through it. They can really get your house a lot of traffic. 
if they know what they're doing and maybe it's the difference between selling your house early and not. So, uh, I don't, you know, ton of money versus having experts in your corner. How do you feel, Joel? Always a tough question. This one in particular, I lean hard towards having a real estate agent. That's for a few reasons. One is, and Mindy went on to say this and it's true is that when you list a home and you're for sale by owner, there are some agents who just don't want to bring their buyers to your house. That's often because a first sale by owner, a person doing that, they don't want to pay the high commissions. And so, and the agent's like, well, you know, I'm not going to show that to my buyers because I want to get paid. I want a commission. And I also think I wish the system was different because in most other countries, it's not this exorbitant 6% transaction fee every time you buy and sell a home. So I hope that that changes in the near future because I think it's overboard. It's just too much. And, and it makes the transaction cost involved in buying and selling real estate just ridiculous. But I still think having a real estate agent on your side when it comes to negotiation, uh, when it comes to finding buyers, and especially like if your home sits for too long, as any real estate agent will tell you, that's killer. Yeah. That, that makes your home look like it's trash and nobody wants to look at it after 30 days in this kind of market, right? If it's sitting after 30 or 60 days, people are like, what's wrong with it? Yeah. And so you need to have an agent on your side that's going to be able to get people in there immediately and help you find a buyer. I definitely lean towards having an agent on your side. Well, and I want to go even further than that, Matt. I mean, uh, feel free to weigh in on that. But let's talk about just advisors in general, right? Having a financial planner, having a CPA that you work with versus TurboTax, like just having these people, I mean, they all have a fee that they charge to do business with. I was in some random Facebook forum last week and somebody was talking about 1% being an exorbitant fee that a financial advisor will want to take to help you manage your money. Yeah. I mean, regarding that, I think for a lot of folks who are in the wealth building stage of their investing life, fees do not make sense because the formula is really easy. It's just you know, low cost, widely diversified, hold it for the long haul. But <laughs> we say that 99% of the time, but for certain situations, it does call for an expert, whether it be a financial planner, whether it be, I mean, you mentioned a CPA. Those are laws that are constantly changing. Like our, our tax code is something that is, if not every four years, you know, like almost every year, there are little tweaks to it. And they're familiar with what the IRS is looking for. They're looking for the red flags. And so they know how to obviously not just follow the law, but they know how to completely avoid sort of that dangerous area to you know keep you from getting audited, for example. And so in those cases, when it comes to a very specialized set of knowledge, you know that when someone can come to the table and potentially save you a lot of money, save you a lot of headache, then <laughs> I see that as being something that can be incredibly valuable and worth the money. I think there are instances where, like if you want to nerd out and learn all about selling a house because you're really into learning and you see this as a perfect opportunity to, you know, be on the front lines, learn the entire process, learn the ins and outs. You know what? If you're going to do an incredible amount of research and talk to a lot of different realtors, like you're, you're going to go to these different meetings, then maybe it does make sense for you. Maybe you, this could be a, a career path for you. But if you're just looking to sell a house, yeah, just yeah. get a professional. <laughs> well, and to your point, I think that any financial planner who's just managing money for you, that's becoming a commodity. I can have Wealthfront do that. I could have Betterment do that. I can pick a thing at M1 Finance. I mean, pick a brokerage account. There's some um, target date fund-ish kind of thing going on, which will help me get there. But having people in your corner that are smart people, maybe I widen this out a little more than a lot of people do. Because, Joel, I just think that if I had your front row seat 
where I could sit and ask Clark Howard a question about my financial picture any given day, having the ability to have somebody smart in my corner that knows my blind side, I think is a huge advantage. Sure. We do think that when it comes to pure investing, that is something that most people should be tackling on their own. Most people don't have you know, enough money that a financial advisor even wants to see them. You know, most of the people that we're speaking to on our podcast are very middle class. They're young in their careers. And so really they just need to be hitting the easy button. And that's putting more in their 401k and widely diversified low cost funds, you know, opening up a Roth, stuff like that. But yeah, when you get beyond that level, I do think having someone that can help you stay the course can be valuable at times. And financial advisors, I agree, are bringing more to the table these days and they're offering more than just fund advice, right? They're not just saying there's so much more that a financial advisor can offer. And, and one of the main things I think is behavioral help, uh, helping you stay the course, right? It's, it's that kind of ability to help their client say, no, 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 no. I know the market's down 25% this year, but you're doing the right thing. Keep going when they might otherwise sell in a panic and yeah. really hurt their long-term financial picture. Or so, the more holistic yeah. stuff, Joel, like as an example, you know, you don't have money yet, but you have a high income. You have four kids, Matt. So your protection needs, like I think about buying the right term life insurance for a self-employed person, huge, yep. huge issue there. And that's another one of the things that Matt just mentioned. Like if you want to go through all the steps to learn how to do these things, to sell your own home, well then good for you. I think you can make it happen if you, but you got to put in the work to make it happen. And then to actually sell your home for a reasonable price, by the end of the day, it might've been worth that five or $6,000 you would have paid to an agent. Same thing when it comes to managing your own, your own money. If you listen to Stacking Benjamins and How to Money every week for a, a year and a half, two years, you know what? There's a lot of those things that you're comfortable doing on your own, but you have to teach yourself and you have to put yourself under people who kind of know what they're talking about and can help you along the way. It's like a free education, which is what I love about podcasting and the wonderful free information available now. Well, and I was going to say that uh, one of those two, by the way, is right. <laughs> How to money or if they learn anything listening to us, they're doing it wrong. But That's you guys, yes. And I was going to say that you guys might know of a podcast out there where people might be able to learn a little more about money and have some fun doing it. If only there were such a podcast, that would be, wouldn't that be fantastic? If only there's one that you could listen to if you're also into craft beer and the the finer (laughs) things in life. (laughs) I know. And the bad news is I, you know, at 52 guys, craft beer goes right to my gut. And so I love listening to you guys talk about craft beer and I'm like, damn it. But tell me bet more how it tastes. Like, just tell me how it tastes so I don't have to have <laughs> so you to don't feel like you're missing out. Yes, that's right. That's right. Bring me along for the ride. We need to take some good stuff, dude. That's for sure. I played some clips from some shows a month or two back, but you guys have had some awesome stuff the last couple of weeks. Tell everybody what's happened lately on How to Money. Yeah, we just had an awesome interview with Beth from BudgetBites.com, and she helps people shop and then cook and gives them recipes that you can make fantastic food at home just on a ridiculously small amount of money, which I love because food is such a budget buster. And also, she, I think you know she really just helped give people the confidence to actually get in the kitchen and start making something because that honestly, I think that's probably the number one barrier to, barrier to entry for people. They just go out to eat because they don't know how to cook. Yeah. And then, yeah. uh, just a couple of, we talked about biggest behavioral money mistakes that we make because, you know, that that's a huge thing. We get in our own way so much of the time. It's not necessarily even a lack of knowledge. It's the way that we approach money and the behaviors that, that come out and, uh, and they wreck, we wreck ourselves. That that's so much of the problem. I had friends when I lived in Texas who ate every meal at a restaurant. 
Yeah, that's insane. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? My little sister's kind of like that. They save a good bit of their money and they prioritize eating out and they do it almost almost every night. They've been a little bit better recently. They're really trying to to do that a little bit less. But that's something that she prioritizes. But I also think if we could all gain a little more confidence in the kitchen, uh, learn a few knife skills and a few cooking skills, it would help us all with our budgets. And and probably we'd probably enjoy those home cooked dinners a little bit more, especially if we follow some of the tips that Beth left for us. That's super cool. What about another one? Give me one more. Yeah. So uh, not too long before that, we had the great masterful JL Collins on. Who? Um, so no, yeah, yeah, I know. We heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he was great. And we always, you know, every other, every other Monday we have listener questions on, which is probably my favorite episode of the month. When we have those listener questions, it's just super fun. That is awesome. Matt, Joel, thanks a ton for coming by the basement. It's about time we got you two down here. It was so fun. Man, do I have to go back up those rickety stairs or no? Just Can watch I- out. Watch out for the fourth one. That's the okay. doozy. All right. Yeah. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And it appears on this crazy holiday calendar that Joe's mom got me that today is Student Athlete Day, which is the perfect time for me to share with you some of my greatest athletic achievements. Uh, I take this one. During my junior year of high school, I went over to Becky Kalamansky's house to study for a test, and I, uh, I can only assume she hadn't told anyone, because in walks her dad from work, and he just starts screaming about how there's a boy in the house. I mean, this guy is hot, like off the charts, ticked. So at this point, I sprinted a good 50 meters out of the house in about 5.55 seconds, which... Had there been appropriate equipment available, would have put Usain Bolt to shame. But let's not push the brag button too hard. How about instead we focus on you answering this trivia question? According to a 2016 Utah State University survey, which sport comes with the biggest annual price tag for families? I'll be back with your answer right after this. following is an actor, not a real person. We tried to find an actual Stacking Benjamins podcast listener, but we're not sure any exist. Yesterday, I turned on one of those other podcasts. Ugh, more money talk? The topic was something called long-term care, and they couldn't even make me care for the short term. That podcast made me feel like just another number. Hi, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, the huge star of the award-winning Stacking Benjamin show. Are you tired of podcasts that blabber on about money? Are you confused about all this IRA, SEPP, 72T, and fiduciary talk? At Stacking Benjamins, you're not just another number to us. Heck, if you actually listen, you're the only number. That's why we barely ever talk about money. Better yet, we treat you like family. We'll invite you on down to Joe's mom's basement, serve you some pie and maybe even a little lemonade. And best yet, when you leave, we'll complain about you behind your back. Because that's what real family moments are all about. I'm never going back to that old podcast. Stacking Benjamins is a way for me to avoid numbers and feel that warm, fuzzy feeling I get every time I scream at my sister on the phone. Stacking Benjamins, where you're not a number. Your family.
Welcome back, money hunks. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And before we get to my amazing trivia answer, I was doing a bit of research on the 50-meter dash. You know, the one that I probably ran in like 5.55 seconds. Turns out, current world record holder ran it in 5.56 seconds. I was right. Turns out that Usain Bolt doesn't hold that particular record. So if anyone knows how to reach a Jamaican-Canadian sprinter, allegedly named Donovan Bailey, please let him know. I'll be waiting at Joe's mom's house in my Nike knockoffs so we can foot race down the backyard. I may run from angry dads, but know this, Bailey. I never run from a challenge. Let's not fall behind the pack here. Before the break, I asked you this question. According to a 2016 Utah State University survey, which sport comes with the biggest annual price tag for families? The answer? If you said lacrosse, well, you'd be right. According to a survey, families spend over $7,956 on average, with the maximum capping out at $17,500. Sound crazy? Maybe not so much when you factor in the fact that some parents shell out big bucks for personal trainers and traveling teams. Now, I need to stretch out a bit before I get ready for my big return to neighborhood racing. See ya! Close! (laughs) I was close. I said hockey, which is like the lacrosse of not ice. My daughter's boyfriend in college was a hockey goalie from Sweden and his parents before college had sent him here to the Dallas area where he played on a junior team. I mean, could you, could you imagine sending your kid, your high school age kid away to live with another family to go get their hockey dream? Depends on how good he was. Does he have $50 million of Bitcoin somewhere? It depends on how much I like the kid. (laughs) Hey, junior. Like you to stay around, but uh, remember how I told you to clean your room about six times? Yeah, off you go. Yeah, hope you're good at hockey. Lacrosse. My son played lacrosse for one year and loved mm-hmm. it, but then we moved to Texarkana, Texas, and believe it or not, they didn't have a lacrosse team. Hmm. Yeah, there's lacrosse here in Dallas. Yeah, big sport. Quite a bit getting bigger. Get big. It's and, getting bigger. Yeah, man, yeah, it's still pretty tiny, but it's but some bigger. of the hits my my son took it was it was fun to watch too. Good spectator sport. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, OG. Ooh, definitely high sticking. That's a thing, right? Can you high stick people in lacrosse? You can, but you like that? Like you want to get high sticked? I don't want to get high sticked. You want to do the high stick. I am the high sticker. You're the dirty player. Well, you can pick your poison. Do you want to get tripped or do you want to get high sticked? One of those two things is happening. (laughs) You're not asking them if they want to get hit. You're asking them where they want to get hit. Yeah. Is that the deal? You want to get taken out of the knees or you want a little shoulder pain? As as an aside, by the way, I used to describe mutual fund fees that way. When people would ask me about like load versus no load funds and different ways that they charge, you know, there's the alphabet soup of ABC shares. Do you want to get punched in the face or in the face? Exactly. (laughs) Where do you want to get hit? Because they're going to hit you somewhere. We want to get hit as little as possible, but then you also want to know everywhere they're hitting you. But anyway, it turns out it's your loved ones in your time. Hopefully you're not high sticking the kids at night. (laughs) 
That's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Now, their application simple online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable, offered through Mass Mutual. They're more than 160 years old. Today, we got a question, interesting question from Anonymous. Say hi, Anonymous. Hey, Stacking Benjamins crew. I'm trying to find out if I should include some commodities in my portfolio, but I just want to buy a commodities index fund or mutual fund of some kind, but I just wonder how they work. If I buy a Vanguard commodities index, are they going to go out and buy actual gold to try to match the index or do they buy futures contracts or, or how does that actually work? And, is commodities really necessary in my portfolio? I know Mr. Penzo would tell me that's the only thing you need, but I'm just wondering if you think anyone else needs it besides bunker loving uh, <laughs> weirdos. <laughs> Thanks. Tell mom I said hi. Bye. We will tell mom. We don't know who you are, but we will tell mom that you said hi. I was going to say that, that that sounds like Matt. I mean, I know it says anonymous. And you probably didn't want anybody to tell, but that's definitely Matt. I'm sure of it. That's Matt. Yeah, it's Matt. Matt who? Well, I'm not going to say his last name, but from Biloxi. Definitely Matt from Biloxi. Oh, Matt. I know he Matt. He doesn't want anybody to know it's him, but. No, but it's clearly Matt. Uh, Matt from Biloxi. So let's talk about. Hard uh, to get a t-shirt if you don't say who you are. I know, way. right? Now we're going to have 20 people claim that they're Matt from Biloxi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only one can be, though. Yes. So, OG, let's talk about commodities indexes versus going out and buying gold or cutting well, down a tree. Yeah. I mean, no, Vanguard is not out dollar for dollar matching the gold or the oil barrels. You know, they don't have a repository of silver bullion somewhere, you know, in a vault somewhere matching how many shares of silver they have and they're not pricing it. It's it's obvious that they're buying futures contracts. The interesting thing about futures and option contracts is what is the terminal value of a futures contract? Nothing. Zero. What's the terminal value of an option contract? Nothing. Zero. By that definition, I would call any commodities quote-unquote investment, mutual fund, ETF, whatever, purely speculation. All you're trying to do, well, all the manager is trying to do, is buy a position and trade out of it prior to that expiration date of that position for a profit. And by doing those trades, some will be winners, some will be losers, and spreading them out over a period of time, you know, they don't all expire on you know, April 6th, some of them expire in May and some of them expire in May of next year and some of them expire in May of 10 years from now. But by having those spread out, some of those will be profitable, some of them won't be profitable. By and by, you know, we make a few bucks along the way. But the outcome could be, and this is why it's so dangerous to do futures trading on your own, you could end up with the day where you go, so where do you want your oil delivered, sir? You are now the proud owner of... 68 million gallons of crude, you know, or whatever, which is why you've got to get rid of your contract. So, or just buy the index and they're always getting rid of the contract. Well, that's what I mean. Yes. You can never, you know, yeah. you got to be real careful right, doing this on right, your own. Right. 
But by definition, I would consider this to be purely a speculative investment, not at all an investment that would be allocatable to a regular person's portfolio. So there is some truth, I think, to holding the asset itself, although I don't believe for any instant that it's actually an investment. I think that over a long period of time, if you look at the reality of the situation, you tend to break even at best, if not lose money. And frankly, what are you going to do with a bar of gold in your safe? Chip a little bit of it off when you got to run down to the grocery store or pay your dentist? Or fight the zombies? Yeah, well, that you would use it for. But I'm saying like everything else. So people like to say it has a little bit of hedging perspective in their portfolio. But really, when you're hedging, what are you trying to do? You're trying to say, I'm going to give up some return in exchange for lower volatility. I'll just be okay with the volatility and get all the return. After I sold my business, I worked with a guy who was an advisor who worked with lots of older people. And he was worried about volatility much more than the market. His specialty wasn't working with people that really cared about the market. They just wanted their money to generally go up and meet the goal. And he was great at teaching his people that it was more about the goal uh, then. But he also wanted to lower volatility. And he would, it's interesting, OG, he did a bunch of back testing over many different time periods and had just a natural resources position, not strictly gold or oil or timber, but a natural resources position that was about 5% of a lot of his portfolios. And the calming effect on the portfolio, while not giving up a lot of upside potential, was interesting. I don't know that I advocate that. I'm totally with you. It's a giveaway, right? And he would even say it was a giveaway. He goes, listen, this is going to be a drag on the portfolio. But when things go down, this may go down too, right? 2007, 2008, 2009, you saw you saw gold kind of go the same way everything else went. I mean, there was no safe place during that time frame. However, because the correlation is so much different, it's just another chance that you're going to have something that buoys you if the market goes sideways. Well, uh, yeah, I agree with you in terms of the diversification uh, concept. But I think there's also a big difference between natural resources and commodities. You know, commodities are things like soybean futures, and pork bellies. But the companies that are in a natural resources fund are always, I mean, you look at an well, oil company versus just, the price of, of, said, of oil. You just said the difference. The natural resources fund is made of companies that are in that business. Right. And now you're talking about an investment in an organization. Now but, you're talking about owning stock. But you still look at the price the of, you still look at the price of gold goes up and down So does the price of the company that delivers it. I mean, I mean, I remember for a while owning some nickel companies in my in my portfolio and those damn things weren't worth a nickel like they, they were. They were horrible. That crap never moved. It was it was a bad idea from the very Yeah, But beginning. there's a difference between owning a futures contract with nickels or nickel, I should say nickel. Yeah. And owning a company that manufactures and distributes nickel. Yeah. That company's producing an income, hopefully, and maybe even profit and, you know, has shareholders and, you know, as an ongoing entity. Versus buying that, an option contract that yeah, you're, you're holding that the bag or holding turns on to, to zero. Yeah. You know, like at midnight, you turn into a pumpkin. That's effectively what, an, what a futures contract does. It turns to Cinderella's pumpkin. But e- but even o- owning natural resources in your portfolio versus the broader market. You know, if you're a long-term investor... You're going to have it anyway. 
you're going to have that companies invested yeah. in your portfolio anyway. Yeah. The only reason, the only reason to do it that I can think of is knowing yourself. OG. I mean, if you're somebody that can't take the big time swings, don't get me wrong. Gold, gold is what eight times more volatile than the stock market. So if you don't like the volatility of gold, but adding different things in like that, adding different pieces can maybe help you sleep at night. Yeah. It's the correlation effect between those two different investments. You're right. Thanks for the question, Matt from Biloxi. If you've got a, if you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And if you actually leave us your name, we'll even throw in a shirt. I like that question. I like a question about commodity. We haven't had a commodities question in a while and looking at the gyrations the market has done recently. Good time to talk about that. And most people think that's Biloxi, Mississippi. Totally not. It's Biloxi, Massachusetts. Biloxi, Massachusetts. Yes. Smaller, but man, those people are strong. They're incredible. And everybody's above average intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Six, two. That's going to do it for today. Big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us. I know your time's valuable and uh, man, that was, was. And yet you still decided to spend an hour with us. I think they really wanted more time with Joel and Matt. That's what they were looking at. By the way, big thanks people who've also left us a review of the show. How about this one? Five stars from wait for it. Rubber toe. Great show. I love the show. Joe and G are very informative and entertaining. Thanks for the shout out. Your friend, Roberto. Yeah, buddy. So good. This is going to be a joke that's not going to die. I think it's never going to die. If you're someone that knows that before you die, you want better financial planning. How about that? Huh? Is that good? Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. OG and his team are taking clients and interface with them at stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from Joel and Matt. Juggling priorities is about communication, focusing on the big things in life, and maybe laughing a little. Even if we're all holed up together with OG telling the same jokes over and over and over and over. Second, own a business? Owe money on student loans or need special assistance? Stay on top of the news because new data to help is arriving by the hour. But the big lesson? Don't waste your energy on a practice run for your big Donovan Bailey race. Excuse me while I find a muscle roller and a heated blanket. And someone tell the neighborhood kids to stop laughing from their backyards. If I could have caught them, I'd have, I'd have, ah, never mind. Special thanks to Joel and Matt for stopping by the basement. You can check out the blog and podcast at their site, howtomoney.com, or through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. 
There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. We were talking about um, would you go hunting through trash in Wuhan, China for the chance of finding 50 mil on a scratch pad somewhere, <laughs> it's like digging up everybody's fishing <laughs> equipment. But I was thinking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was the um, the fight that was on TV, you know, the, the heavyweight fight. Yeah. Fury and uh, Wilder. Yeah. You know, I don't know how much those guys make a lot, I'm sure. But I'm I'm kind of curious. Is there an amount that you would like step into the ring? And you just, know, take just like Floyd your... Mayweather. Like you get two months to get as in shape as you can, and you know that you are just you are going to see the inside of an ambulance. But you know, it's like thirty mil in terms of a payout or something. I don't know. I might get my ass kicked by Floyd Mayweather for like 30 million. Yeah. But how much of that's permanent damage? I remember watching a, um, can't you just take a fall? Like, I'm down. Oh, I totally would. I would, I would, th- that bell would ring. My ass would be on the ground immediately. And I'd be like, uh, uh, make the checkout to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, HBO viewers. That wasn't really what you wanted. Peace. Oh, yeah, I'd be down on the floor just tapping. Or do you do it like in Pulp Fiction where everybody's betting on it and then you bet the other way and then you beat the snot out of Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, that's what I'd do. Look at me, dude. <laughs> that's the strategy. Have you I'd seen do. how fast those people punch? It's like not even – It's I mean, it's it's not human. Like you see like a bar fighter, there's like two guys. like, And then you see those guys in the ring and they are just so fast – I don't watch a lot of boxing. I didn't watch this. I just saw some highlights of it, but it was just, I was just watching this dude just get pummeled. For- back, back in the glory days of what's her name a few years ago. Um, who's a phenomenal UFC fighter. Yeah. Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Ronda Rousey. My daughter and I, I have to admit at the time I wasn't a big fan of, of UFC and I, I just wanted some chicken wings. So my daughter and I are at home. Cheryl's uh, somewhere. And I just said, Hey, you want to go get beers and chicken wings? Absolutely. So we head to Buffalo wild wings and the place is packed. I'm like what the hell's going on? We're like third in line. And the hostess says, yeah, you're probably not getting in. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, Oh, there's a, a UFC fight tonight. It's Ronda Rousey. I'm like, Oh yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah. People in front of me are looking at me like I'm from the moon. Like you're, you, you, you've heard of Ronda <laughs> you've Rousey. Of yes. Yeah. Yes. Like who the heck are you? And uh, anyway, this older couple comes by and sees me. Everybody else is in their 20s. I'm 39. 
and uh forever yes and the woman leans forward and goes hey we just left this booth over here if you just go around these people cool so i go around and we sit down and and the the woman comes over and cleans off the table takes our order and we're in business so we just decided while we're there and it was amazing watching the undercard these guys fight like by the time rousey even got there I was super enthralled. Like it was just, and and by the way, it isn't just a fight. It's the fact that you're at this place that's packed with fans. And every time somebody threw a punch, Ooh. oh yeah, the whole place goes crazy. It was so damn fun. And then Ronda Rousey comes out and her competitor comes out and her competitors talking trash at the beginning. The bell goes or whatever the hell they do to start the fight. Seven seconds. It took seven seconds for Ronda Rousey to have that thing gone. Ronda like fainted. The woman went to block it. Ronda grabbed her arm, threw her on her on her back, twisted her arm to the point that it was going to break, and just bam, done, done, over. Good night. F- fight, out. fight, done. It was incredible. So, would you get your ass kicked by Ronda Rousey for thirty million? No. You would just say, "No, nah, I have." I can't do it. I, I would do it for Floyd, but not, or you wouldn't do it for anybody. Between the two of them, I'm clearly going to take Ronda over Floyd. Okay. I just wonder if there's a pride thing in there about like, you know. No, if there's got to, are you kidding me? If it's just about the money, let's, let's, hopefully a little, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I watched her fight to the point that, so I, I come home and now I'm like a UFC champion. And I'm telling all my friends this, that they got to, they, they got to watch these fights and nobody really cares, but I convinced two guys to go and we get there earlier. We sit in the bar area. We have some food. We have some drinks. We watch the undercard. These guys are having, we're having a great time. It's fantastic. The Ronda Rousey fights just about to start. And I go, uh, check, please check, please. My buddy Todd goes, what are you doing? The fight hasn't started yet. I'm like, if we don't get the check now, what happened last time is going to happen this time. I couldn't find my waitress after that. I mean, she was, my server was gone forever because everybody was leaving at the same time. Right. After the seven second fight. And and my buddy Rob was saying, he's like, are you kidding? The fight hasn't even started yet. What if we want another beer? I'm like, there ain't going to be time for another beer. <laughs> Just let's get the check so we can get the hell out of here. And so the server even looked at us like we were from the moon. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we'd like to check. I think it was 17 seconds that time. And Todd and Rob thought I was a genius for getting the check. And then the next time. Scooted right out of there. The the third time you didn't pay at all. The third time we just put it on TV at my buddy Mike's house and everybody, everybody came over. Like it was just, the house was packed with people. And that was, by the way, when Rousey got beat. Hmm. Was that night. And she got $30 million for getting her ass kicked. She did. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. 
Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 